G'day. Welcome to SEO Success Stories. My name is Russ McCumber, and every two weeks we talk search engine optimization with the world's leading SEO practitioners. We interview a mix of in-house SEO leads from the world's biggest brands and SEO thought leaders, many from leading search technology brands, plus the world's foremost SEO educators. They'll all be lifting the hood on their own SEO journey, as well as sharing the tips and tricks behind how the best and brightest minds in SEO go about their trade of dominating the SERP. SEO nerds, this one's for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of SEO Success Stories. I'm Russ. You hear my voice every two weeks. We talk SEO. And on today's episode, I've got Kyle Byers from SEMrush. G'day, Kyle. How are you? Hey, Russ. Thanks for having me. Doing great. How are you? Good. I'm really well. Really well. Excited to get into this, this conversation. So as the preamble stated, you know, we have people from from big brands. We have people client side, agency side. We've got thought leaders. Kyle has worked across a range of different parts of the marketing and SEO spectrum, which we will get to. But he comes to us today as, you know, the face of, of SEMrush, I guess, for today, for this, today's conversation. Not to put the pressure on you, Kyle, but uh, we do ask one question of every guest. So I'd love to get an understanding, Kyle, of what you believe is the number one biggest challenge facing SEOs in 2023. Yeah, I love this question. I think the probably the most obvious answer is going to be AI, right? There are so many challenges and, and opportunities around AI that I'm sure are just going to grow and grow and grow from here. And we might also finally see as part of that being show up as a legitimate competitor to Google, which will, if that happens, that's going to make every SEO's job a little more interesting, but also a little more complex, right? But, but actually for now, I think the biggest challenges in 2003, 2023, currently right now, as we speak are really the same as they have been for a long time, right? There's, there's increasing competition in the SERPs. There are Google updates that are continually raising the bar and making some practices obsolete. If, if you're in-house, of course, getting buy-in from stakeholders and developers to actually make your initiatives happen is an ongoing challenge. And if you're agency side, like, like you are, Russ, then of course, winning clients and, and showing them the value of what you're doing, especially in this economy when some companies might be acting short-sighted, I'm sure is, is a challenge too. And then in general, probably the, the hardest thing about SEO for most folks is just understanding what's really moving the needle and making sure that you focus on that. Love it, love it, love it. Tell you what, like, uh, sure, AI, and uh, I think if anyone had told us like 12, 18 months ago that Bing was going to make a play to steal some market share back, like, yeah. I don't know anyone who would have saw that coming. <laughs> no, I did not anticipate it. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Cool. So you're, you're at SEMrush now. So we're going to get into that. I want to find out a bit more about what's happening there. And obviously, you know, Everyone who listens to this podcast, either well, they know what SEMrush is, probably a large chunk of them use it to some degree. So we'll get into that, but I'd love to find out a bit more about yourself, like how you find yourself in a role at SEMrush and, and you know, how, you, how you sort of got into this in the first place. Now, I know you're, so you're from Oregon. Is that, so were you mm -hmm. born and raised in Oregon? That's right. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. But now we just spoke off here, but you're, you're based in Italy now in, in Rome. Just outside. Yeah, I moved to Italy about seven years ago with my wife, who's who's Italian. So yeah, okay. that's right. I'm a transplant, like you. Gotcha. Exactly. I'm an Aussie in Austin. So tell me about your. So how long have you been in digital marketing? 
Wow. I've been in digital marketing for, I guess, about 16 years now. I, I, so I, I guess I can just lay it all out there. Yeah. So I, 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 okay. I started working in marketing back in, I think it was 2007, working for the e-commerce arm of Guitar Center, which is a national chain of music musical instrument stores in the U.S. And after several years working there, I decided to go backpacking through Europe and built some small websites as I was doing that just to bring in some side income. Okay. At the time, I thought that those websites were just going to be kind of a hobby. But I think you all probably know, anyone listening knows where this story goes, and it goes to SEO, right? Learning SEO just gave me a reason to, to study, you know, or rather having those websites gave me a reason to study and learn SEO. So I still remember the first dollar that I made from my, my personal fitness blog and the, the, the first major backlink that I got for that blog, which was yeah. from livestrong.org <laughs> cool. to date myself even more there yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and so on, you know, and, and so I kind of got obsessed with SEO at that point, but I also was really interested in, in, in paid search and conversion rate optimization. And so mm -hmm. I, I always kept my base a little bit broad from there. So after that, I, I led the digital marketing team for the largest independent audiobook publisher in the U.S. Then after that, I co-founded a PPC and SEO agency that quickly became a premier Google partner. So it was okay. at the time, I'm not sure what the metrics are, but I know at the, at the time it was in the top 3% of PPC agencies in the U.S. And then after that, I did that for a number of years until a little more recently co-founding the startup Exploding Topics with Brian Dean and Josh Howarth. And then it was last, and then it was last year that I joined SEMrush and uh, as the start at first as the head of organic content and then got a promotion to director of organic search, which wow. I've been having a great time doing that. That's very cool. There's a fair bit to unpack there. So we're going to rewind a bit and go through some of those. I want to hear about, so you've, I love the, you know, you're backpacking and you've like, you're kind of like a, almost like a decade ahead of the whole laptop lifestyle, the digital native where you're, you're building it out, building this business for you, seeing the world, which is great. And you realize SEO, geez, that's going to be a thing. That's going to help make these these websites credible and actually get some eyeballs on it. How? What was like the first realization there? Did you have something ranking? Oh wow! Or was it was it more intentional than that? Excuse me, it was more intentional than that. You know, I so I read the four hour four hour work week by yes. Tim Ferriss, and that was part of what made me want to go traveling in the first place. There's a lot about that in that book and some other books that he had recommended. And then that book also talks about you know, creating a muse, kind of a, a source of passive income. And that's what I was trying to do with those websites. I also, that's also why I learned PPC initially was to drive some paid traffic to, to see if I could get conversions for some product ideas that I had. But where, what really got traction first was this personal fitness blog that I had. And I don't actually remember the keywords that I was ranking for. But yeah, once, once I started to get some rankings, and as I mentioned, some backlinks and some AdSense dollars, it, it just really hooked me. Who were you? Was there anyone that you were looking up to back then? Like that you sort of went, okay, well, they're, they're sharing good content. Like now, mm -hmm. LinkedIn especially has become like a, maybe it's just my feed. I don't know. For like SEO thought leaders, tacticians, people on the tools, like LinkedIn such a great source of information. But this is like, what year are we talking here? You're talking 10 years ago? Yeah, this would have been 2009, I suppose. Oh, even more. Uh, so okay. Even, even more. Yeah. Yeah. So who, who uh, are you learning from? Yeah, at the time, Rand Fishkin, you know, back then it was SEO Moz, right? Rand Fishkin, 
Danny Sullivan, Will Reynolds, I think was around back then on the PPC side already. Okay. Avinash Kaushik, I think is how his name is pronounced. Great analytics person. Joanna Weib for, or Weeb maybe for copywriting. Annie Cushing. Of course, now, you know, a lot of those names are are a little less prolific, but many of them are still around. And then there's Marie Haynes, Alayda Solis, Michael King, Will Critchlow, lots Lots of people to be inspired by these days. I love it. Love it. Cool. So uh, did you have any, like, were there any kind of algo changes or hits that, that impacted you along the journey? Like where you went, oh, geez, that's, that's a learning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was heavily into guest posting <laughs> for that personal fitness blog. And uh, yeah, Google Panda and, and Penguin, you know, Penguin on the link side and Panda on the content side were kind of the one-two punch that knocked me out of that game, honestly. Yeah, it, 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 it demotivated me from actually continuing with the blog because I was really not in it out of that much. It was, it was kind of just to make some side income as easily as I could. And that made it clear, like, no, you're going to have to invest a lot more into this if you really want it to work anymore. So, yeah, gotcha. that's when I stopped. Cool. Okay. So then you've, I want to talk a little bit about exploding topics. So with your time there and, and sort of coming up with, with, uh, you know, with that venture, tell, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so, sure. So exploding topics actually started by, was originally started under a different brand name and domain by Josh Howarth. And okay. he had created kind of an MVP version of it, which started to get a little bit of traction. And Brian Dean caught onto that and offered to acquire it from him, kind of an aqua hire. So they would go in as as partners. And then I joined up as the third co-founder, I think about two months or so after that. I I, I don't remember exactly the timing. And I, I joined to lead lead the growth and then also product on the paid newsletter side. And okay. so, yeah, I spent a lot of time working with those guys on that. It was a lot of fun. Very cool. Very cool. Excellent. Well, let's talk about SEMrush. So how long have you been at SEMrush and what's, what's your role? What, what did you start doing there? I've been there for just a little over a year now, a year and two months, I think. And I started off as the head of organic content. That's so right. basically I came in to overhaul their approach to the blog, especially any, any followers of the SEMrush blog, probably, you know, long-term followers may remember that for a long time, the blog was open to guest posts from basically anybody who wanted to post on the site. And so that led to predictable results, I would say. They, they, they tightened that up and kind of closed that down a few years ago, but or maybe a little less, maybe more like two years ago. But still, by, by the time I joined, there was an issue around the, the quality of the content not always living up to the quantity of the content. And part okay. of that is just things becoming outdated, you know, when you have thousands of, of blog posts out there. So basically I came in to kind of build up an internal content operations team that would drastically raise the quality of the content and help our users a lot more. And of course, bring in a lot more relevant organic search traffic that would then convert to paying users of the tool. Cool. Tell us about some of the, like the early wins you had there. Like was there a particular like topic or was there, was there a particular part of the site where you were able to, you know, just color bunch and, and increase the quality and, and generate some good results? Yeah. So basically what we did is we, we identified which blog posts had the most opportunity for growth in terms of revenue. Samrush does a great job with their new MRR track, tracking. And so we were able to 
figure out which posts had the most opportunity for growth in terms of revenue and and also traffic. And we've just, you know, I, I developed a, a set of guidelines called the, the 12 keys to content quality, what we use internally to make sure that we're really nailing things like, you know, search intent. It, not only are we actually nailing the search intent for that keyword with the piece that we're providing, we're also making it very, very clear upfront that we're going to nail the search intent for it. So it's not burying the lead instead of saying in a very brief intro, here's what we're going to cover and here's what you're going to get out of this piece. And so readers know, you know, basic stuff, right? They know they're going to get what they want when they, when they land on it, that, and, you know, increasing the, or rather decreasing the time to value. So in, in the product development, they talk, they think about time to value for how fast a software tool starts producing value for the average user. Well, I think the same thing can be applied to blog posts or any kind of content. You want the person who's consuming that content, watching a video, listening to a podcast, reading a blog post to get value out of it as fast as possible. Often that means shorter introductions for older blogs, especially, but that can also mean, you know, having a clear table of contents where they can click into exactly what they need as, as fast as possible, just structuring it better so that people can skim the content if they want to, instead of having to read it line by line, things like that. Yeah. That's a great point. Look, I think people want, you know, we have this, you know, this attention-based economy, you know, where people want to know up front, what ROI am I going to get for my, for my attention right now? So if you can lay it out like that, and I guess there's probably a really good opportunity there for just from an organic content strategy perspective, looking at all those older posts, looking at all those older, that are probably, you know, those legacy, those legacy articles and blogs and the like on, on sites where there's probably opportunity to just clean them up, have a little, those little preamble that starts and bullet points of what people can expect. Even, you know, time to read or I like that around, you know, the opportunity to just zip through that part in the article. There'd be probably some low hanging fruit there if you've got a lot of, you know, long form content that's been sitting there a while, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. The, the thing I would recommend probably for someone, any listeners out there who are dealing with a very large blog would be to go through and systematically prioritize based on expected impact to whatever KPIs you care about, probably revenue in the end, and then understand how much you actually need to change for those blog posts in, in order to have a decent impact, but also weigh that against any potential credibility issues. So we actually ran into, a, we still run into posts on the SEMrush blog that are out of date, that we know we could quickly update in maybe two hours and get it ranking much better on Google, but the experience those readers will have when they come and they read this outdated information and try to apply it is going to be pretty bad. And so we're not actually going to take that low-hanging fruit in a lot of those cases. And instead of doing the quick update, we're actually going to rewrite the whole thing from scratch to make sure that it's also really helping people out. And in the long run, obviously, that's going to be right for the Samurai brand. But of course, it's also going to be right for everybody who's reading it. 100%. I think there's that I mean, it's just, it, it sounds like common sense, but a lot of people are just going to look for where can I get my traffic wins, especially yeah. like people who are new into a role and they're sort of laying out the land for, and you know, if you're, your first 90 days, you're going to start looking at, okay, what are my short-term, mid-term and long-term wins? And those short-term wins, they're just going to try to, to grab what's there. But you're spot on, like at the, at the you know, detriment to the brand and more, more importantly, detriment to the user. Like, what's the point? Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a tip that I, I used to give people sometimes was to, you know, do a site search on Google. It's a pretty, it's, it's a, a pretty basic tip, but just do a site search for in title 
and then past years, you know, 2022 or 2021 or 2020. So that way you can quickly find all the old content that still says, you know, the best XYZ in 2022 in the title. And then you can update that to 2023. It's a very quick, actionable thing you can do. But the problem is that when you tell people that, I almost wish I hadn't shared it because a lot of people listening are now going to go and just update the title tags and the H1s to say 2023 for content that's actually three years old. And that's actually not going to pay off in the long term. You might get a short term boost from that. But really what you should be doing is using that as a way to find those posts to go in and put put in some real updates to make the content more accurate too. There was a, a quite a prevalent example of that share. I can't remember who shared it. I'm, I'm kicking myself, but it was but it was a Neil Patel piece where he'd literally done probably that 2023. And as soon as you scroll down, there was like a video from 2017 and there was all of this content that was clearly not 2023. So you're right. Like yeah. there's that, there's the fix, but then obviously there's what's deeper. So you don't lose credibility. Like that post was fairly well shared on both Twitter and LinkedIn. So gosh. Yeah. Yeah. What was your... I'm curious about just going into an organization like SEMrush. You obviously use it from the outside. We're all aware of, of, of like, you know, its growth and its, and its its influence and everything within our industry. What was it like coming into that organization? Like, did you have preconceived thoughts of what it was going to be like? And then how did it marry up to that? Yeah, interesting question. So joining up, I thought it would be a lot more bureaucratic than it is actually. You know, it's a okay. publicly traded company. I thought there would be a lot of red tape. And around certain things, there, there, you still do certainly need to get buy-in with stakeholders and all those challenges that, that we talked about earlier that everyone faces almost at any kind of size company internally. But really what I've found is that it operates a lot like a startup. And, and more than that, especially since I made the transition from being head of organic content to now director of organic search, where I oversee, the, I, I oversee the organic content team still, but now I also oversee the global SEO team, the conversion rate optimization team, and the internal blogs teams. And so I, I've been empowered, and I'm very fortunate to be able to say this, but I've been empowered to, to, to lead these teams almost like a startup within SEMrush. And so uh, even though SEMrush as a whole has kind of a startup vibe, our team especially has a very startup vibe. And we we really like to collaborate and come up with ideas for improving things and be proactive and just move quickly and get things done. So I think that's been the biggest surprise for me coming into SEMrush is not how smart everybody is because I assumed that was going to be true, which it is, but instead how fast moving it is, even though it's a pretty significant size company. See, that's really interesting because you think that's one thing that people, I guess, from the outside don't realize, you know, unless until you start dealing with the Googles and the Facebooks and the likes is... Yes, they're only, you know, 15, 20 years old, they're tech, they're new, all that sort of stuff, but like they're super bureaucratic. Like there's so many layers to get anything done. Yes. In a lot of ways, things move more slowly in those than they do in banks and the like. Like it's pretty crazy. So I'm I'm always really, really fascinated by businesses, especially growing businesses, scaling businesses that have gotten to a certain size we've been able to eliminate that. Like are there any structures or is it is it just like a is it a cultural thing within the leadership at Severus? Like how do you think they've been able to remove typical bottlenecks? Because usually organization grows and just naturally a layer goes on top of a layer, goes on top of a layer. So how have they been able to, to foster that startup vibe? Part of it is definitely that our CEO, Oleg, was one of the two original co-founders of the company. 
the other one, Dimitri, is still with the company also. I believe he's the, the chairman of the board now, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So that definitely helps. I think that having that entrepreneurial spirit because they are entrepreneurs. Another thing that helps is just that it's a very decentralized. Each team is empowered the way that I described mine. Most of the teams from what I've seen are empowered that same way. Testing, for example, testing new ideas is really a strong part of the culture of Samrush. Being proactive, giving feedback, being open to receiving feedback. It's not a, a case of, oh, I'm getting negative feedback, so it means I failed. It's not even the case of, oh, I tested this thing and it failed, so I failed. Instead, it's what are we learning? The faster we learn, the faster we're going to grow. So try new things, give and get feedback. It's all part of the process. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Very cool. So you you talked about moving out of yeah that role into this into this broader role. What what are some of your proudest moments of of your time at Semrush? Like, I'm guessing you had some wins in the organic content role, and that sort of helped you progress. Is that what were some of those wins? Yeah, that's right. So on the organic content, when I when I was the head of organic content, the biggest wins were around focusing on the quality of the content and also creating processes that that were scalable. And so we, there wasn't really a firm process in place for making sure that, you know, we had the right content workflow to get content produced in a way that was reliably high quality. And so something that was something that I put into, into place and also modeled out how this might scale from a team of starting with, say, four or five on up to 17 in-house plus, you know, dozens of freelancers. And so... Being able to see that come to fruition over time, starting with the smaller seeds and building up has been really, really great. But even more than that, honestly, something that I really love that I'm really proud of is, is just how much of an impact I know this content is having on its readers. You know, we have millions of readers that we're reaching through the website, through the, the blogs and through the newsletters also. Those millions of people are they're entrepreneurs and they're side hustlers and they're creators and they're marketers who are working for small and large businesses. And so e each person that interacts with our content, we're helping them achieve their goals, which allows them to serve their customers better, which allows them to serve their employees better. So everything we're doing is having these huge ripple effects. And it's just a beautiful thing to, to be a part of. And I'm super proud of my team for be able, being able to make it happen. That's very cool. That's very cool. Okay, now I'd be doing my listeners a disservice if I didn't get into some of the nerdy product stuff. So I'd love you to share like, are there like just two or three like of the lesser known tools, features in, in SEMrush that, you know, if more people knew about, it'd kind of kind of blow their mind a little. What, what can you share? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the the, the core two tools are always great. I, I I might be a little biased here, but of course the keyword magic tool is it just is the best keyword research tool out there. I'm, I'm sorry that I'm biased, but it's true. It's just a fact. But in addition, in terms of lesser known, a lot of people don't know about this yet, but we just, because we just released it like a month ago, but you can now see a lot more detail about SERP features inside several of our tools. So, you know, featured snippets, people also ask images, videos, and so on. So I, I think we, we track like 38 or 40 SERP features now which that alone is pretty awesome. But what's even cooler is that unlike most tools, you can now see those separately from the natural rankings in SEMrush instead of just all grouped together. So you can go to another tab and see the rankings, the, the natural rankings, 
and then another tab of blended and then another tab of just the SERP features. That's and so that's, cool. that can be that's super, very yeah, cool. it's really, it's if really I'm thinking cool, like yeah. if you isolate to the SERP features and then you look at that over time, so you're training, you're looking at like scammer and all different sorts of, oh, wow, that's very cool. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And also, you know, if you want to go out and see, see all the SERP, the, the, the featured snippets that you want to steal for a particular set of keywords or a competitor, it's just, it's, it's, I love it. It's a great feature. So that's one definitely that I think most people don't know about yet because it's so new. And then another one that's pretty new is our content outline builder. So this is an AI based tool that, that helps you build content outlines for, you know, content briefs or, you know, whatever. I mean, yeah, for, or for actually writing the, the piece. And so this, this basically goes out and, and checks the SERPs to see the most common things that are out there and make suggestions based on that. There's a cool little drag and drop interface to it. So that's another one that I really like. That's not that's super known, well known yet. Very cool. Very cool. Just on that, like the whole drag and drop, like that, the whole UI of the site. Like I've been using SEMrush for, I'm going to say eight, nine years, something like that. One thing that always drew, drew me to it was, and I've spoken to ones, even when I spoke to Patrick from Ahrefs, he mentioned it as well. Like it's always had such a pretty fat, like like UI. And it's always, like, it just presents really well to clients. I'm curious, like, is that, yeah. is there a big design-led culture within or is there like a big design team? Like, how does that, it's just always been a strength of the product. And I'm curious, it's clearly intentional, but I'm curious, like, what that feels like on the inside. Thanks for saying that. Not that I can take credit, but I still appreciate the compliment. Yeah, so we've, we've always had a really strong product-led focus. And so, you know, the development teams, have a lot of power over how their tools are presented. And of course they do customer interviews and understand what's going to work best and then work with designers to make it happen. Yeah. Okay. Now, very cool. Very cool. Is there anything else on the product roadmap that you are allowed to share? Like, is there anything that's, that's upcoming, which you can maybe just give us a little peek or is that like behind an iron turn? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, I, I knew you were going to ask this, and so I, I checked. But yeah, there's there's nothing that's upcoming that that's not not already public that I can I can talk about. I will say there are some pretty exciting things brewing, but I can't okay. share more than that. Sorry. That's cool. That's cool. I mean, it's already it's already super interesting to hear that you've got like that, like you you're starting to incorporate the AI in with that with that particular content tool, and I'm guessing yeah, there's going to sure. be more along those those sorts of lines down the road. So. Yeah, it, actually, in our SEO writing assistant tool, we've got AI incorporated also, and we just launched a new tool called Content Shake on the App okay. Center that is AI based, also around content. It helps with you know writing, rephrasing, outlining, all those things. Yeah, cool. Have you got any like? What's your thoughts on like in terms of the way AI is in, is impacting content overall, copy, and then you know all the other elements? There was that really spooky pizza AI generated ad, which is doing the rounds at the moment. I don't know if you've seen it. It's like completely. No, I haven't. Pizza? Oh, it's, a, it's like a someone's to spend some time using, I think it was ChatGPT4, where you can now implement stuff and it creates video. And they just basically put a bunch of prompts in there and it's spat out this completely AI generated video of people eating pizza and drinking it at a party. And it's just kind of weird because their mouths don't really open and connect with the food and the mm. drink. And then there's music that just sounds a little bit like off. But I'm just maybe curious. Maybe it's runway. Like, it sounds like maybe a runway ML thing. Yeah. yeah anyway, sorry, go ahead. I'm, I'm not even sure. But like, where's your head at in terms of 
yes, AI is going to impact where we're going. Yes, it's helped, you know, it's helped Bing at least get some relevance and, and some, mm-hmm. some PR. Any thoughts on outside of copy, which everyone's sort of talking about a lot, how AI might, might start impacting the way sites rank or how people can utilize it? Yeah, it's a, something that's on all our minds, I think, right now, for sure. I think it's a very exciting time. The, probably the thing that I'm most curious about is in the SEO space is how is how is Google going to counterpart counterpunch? You know, Bard, Magi. You know, how what is it, what are these things going to look like when they're actually a little bit better developed? And will they be will they be partly overtaken by by Bing? But when it comes to the the tools like ChatGPT, definitely on the copy side, there's there's obvious potential. And in, in fact, I, I think probably a pretty big percentage of content being produced is 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 today being you know produced partly using these tools. Outside of outside of content, it can be a little bit trickier, right? Because the and actually even within content, the hallucinations are a real problem. When you publish pieces without giving them a, a real good human once over or twice over, it's going to probably have just inaccuracies in it. One of the experiments that, that my team and I tried with ChatGPT pretty early on was, hey, I wonder if this can help us come up with statistics that we can then cite in our articles, because that can take a while to find those otherwise. And it was hilarious because you would ask it, you know, this is ChatGPT in this case, 3.5, but it happens with Chat with, with GPT-4 also, where you say, please give me some st- statistics about whatever topic and cite your sources, you know, give me the URLs and it will make up, it will make up the stats and then it will give you URLs that look real because they're following the structure of the actual site, you know, with the correct subfolders really? and the correct slugs. Oh yeah, it's amazing. But then you go to the URL and it's just totally hallucinated. It's quite interesting. Yeah. And then there's also issues around math you know if you try to ask it to do some kind of even simple calculation it just often totally misses the mark that's a little bit better with some of the plugins with chat gpt plus you know there's like there's the wolfram plugin that lets you do math a little bit better and there's also now the code interpreter which can do some more reliable analysis but ultimately you just have to make sure that you review and fact check these things on your own because of the hallucination aspect it's crazy. It's kind of like, it's like a child that just wants to give you the answers of, how do I make you smile, daddy? <laughs> like it's just, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, it is like that. That's really scary. I feel like, you know, in five years, 10 years time, we're going to look back on this time, 2023, right? You know, like if you, there's all those things about Facebook from 2000, you know, 5, 2008, 2012, and in 2012 where Zuckerberg went, you know, they've got an IPO happening and, they're like, hey, Zuck, can you get in here and help us shape the public narrative about, you know, this what's going to be the world's biggest, you know, IPO? And he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm working on mobile. Really? And he's like, no, no, this is where my energy needs to be. And then that just, you know, obviously becomes yeah. where all their ad revenues from and everything else. And you look back now as like that inflection point. And I feel like we're going to look back at 2023 and we're going to be like beta, AI, fear all different things like at some point it's going to firm up and i feel confident that as a society you know we're going to put in place what needs to happen to make it feel safe but yeah it definitely has that weird foundations are changing underneath us feel right now doesn't it it really does yeah it really does i i've mentioned to a couple of people now that 
I think at this time, this year is really the moment you need to be working on these things. And if you don't feel like you're a little bit ahead of the game right now, then you're probably behind or going to be far behind pretty soon. Yes, yeah. 100%. I, that's 100% how I feel. If you're not at least thinking about application of these things and thinking about how your team can use them to, to just be better, more productive, all those different things, mm-hmm. six months, 12 months from now, you're going to be a long way behind. So, yeah, agreed. Totally it's agree. moving so fast. You have to keep up. Yep. What a great conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed hearing about your history, getting into the cool stuff that's happening at SEMrush and you know all this stuff around AI. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This is a lot now, of fun. I'm just going to get into, we ask all of our, all of our guests some quick fire Vox Pop questions. So I'm going to zoom through these. I reckon I know the answer that you're going to give to one of them, but the rest of them, I'm not so sure. So I'll ask the question. You've probably heard these before, but just don't think too much. Just give me an answer and let's go. Which previous Google algo chain still keeps you up at night? I would say that the, the helpful content system keeps me up with excitement, but none of them keep me up at night with anxiety. Yeah, that's cool. What's your favorite non-obvious software tool that you use every day to either research or to execute? Well, I love the SERP features function that I just mentioned in SEMrush, but also I have to admit I'm using Bing Chat more and more. Cool, cool. Gun to your head, which do you prefer, content or links? I, I think links will continue to be super, super important, but you know, I, I love content. Yeah, I'll say content. Clearly. What's the most effective link building technique that you've used? Digital PR, you know, or original research and studies that journalists will cite as sources and that people talk about. Do you think that the skyscraper technique is still relevant today? Yeah, but it's kind of the floor now rather than the ceiling, if that makes sense. It's, you know, at least the part that that, that that's like research what's out there and make something that's better than everything else. That's definitely relevant. Yes. Cool. What do you love most about SEO? I love how much there is to it and also how often it changes. Honestly, you know, I, SEO can be applied to like really almost any type of business. And it also intersects in different ways with almost every type of marketing, right? Copywriting, version rate optimization, brand marketing, performance marketing, storytelling, data analysis, affiliate, blah, blah, blah. And so that, that's what excites me about it. It's so much breadth and also so much depth you can get into with it. Cool, cool. Speaking of application of SEO, is there a way that you apply SEO principles to your daily life? Well, I named my son Child Near Me. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. You know, as, as a, I am a dad of two kids, and I would say that something that, that, parent, that parenting, excuse the joke, that parenting and SEO share is, is needing to have, so there's a lot of short-term ambiguity around what's working, but there's a lot of long-term impact over what you're doing that's just not always clear right away. And so I, I think that's one of the things is like, super, super analytical approach to this, but just thinking about what the KPIs are for your family, you know, what's going to bring long-term happiness versus just make your life a little tiny bit better right now. And how can you maximize the the former instead of the latter? And a a lot of times that's using the the kind of test, test, learn and build cycle that that you need to use in SEO. You can apply that to your family also. I'll tell you what, I reckon, I'll, so I've asked this question, I don't know, 30, 40 times now. That's comfortably the best answer we've had. So well done. <laughs> Thank you. That awesome. was very good. Work from home life or office life or hybrid life? What's your preference? 
Probably personally, I would I would say hybrid, but there is actually not a SEMrush office in Italy yet. So I, I would probably want to go once a day, but I'm happy to work from home. I've been working from home for over a decade. Cool. SEMrush or Ahrefs, what's your preference? <laughs> SEMrush is awesome. I've, I've never heard of that other company. I'm okay. not sure what you're talking about. <laughs> good, good. And then last one, what do you think is the best mix for, for brands, agency or in-house or combo? Definitely a combo. This is for working, so what a brand should work with. Yeah, I would say yeah, combo, because yeah. then you get the flexibility of working with an agency, but then you also get the in-house expertise and, and being, you know, having someone deeply embedded in the team. I also think that, that the combo is the answer for the other way that that question might be asked, which is, you know, for personal experience. I think it's great for people to work with agencies and also in-house to have that kind of well-rounded experience. I can tell you right now when I'm hiring, I literally want both. Because people who've only been agency side, sure, you've got a pace. You'll, you know, you, you can work the agency pace, multiple deadlines, KPIs, you know, kind of, you know, shift gears at the drop of a hat. But you've also got no idea what it's like to work internally and yeah. have to, you know, answer to a bunch of different stakeholders and how, yeah. as an agency, as important as we think we are, to when we jump on a whip with a client, we're just one of 10 meetings they've got that day and a bunch of other things they've got to do. So I yeah. think having an understanding and empathy for, for both sides is definitely a key for me in terms of finding good markers. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Cool. Carl, great conversation. Thank you so much again. What's the best way if people want to reach out and, and ask you a question or just you know follow you? Where, where's the best place to find you? Sure. I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn, Kyle Byers. And then I'm also on Twitter a little bit less often, but I'm trying to post on Twitter more often now too, which is Kyle underscore Byers. This is like randomly off topic, but I'm finding it's just like a LinkedIn is becoming a much more of a hub for SEO content than Twitter was. Like it's really, really shifted. Is this yeah. a platform specific thing or is like, as in like they're finding their tribe more on LinkedIn now, or is it, mm. or do you think it's because of other stuff that's happening at Twitter and kind of some mass movement of people off the platform? Well, you know, I, I even before the, the Twitter controversy started and, and people started maybe migrating, I noticed shortly before that, that I was getting more traction on LinkedIn in general. I used to never post on LinkedIn like a year ago. I only posted on Twitter. I only tweeted basically, but I've just shifted over time because I just tend to get a lot more traction on LinkedIn, a lot more engagement that way. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what's going on there. Yeah. Sorry, question without notice, but I just, it sort of popped into my head. So thought, yeah, you know, it is interesting. Yeah. Cool. All right, Kyle, thank you so much for, for joining us. If you've enjoyed this conversation, jump on, find Kyle where you find him on LinkedIn or Twitter. If you've really enjoyed it, write us five stars. Apple Podcasts is where we're really pushing for them. That would be amazing. This has been SEO Success Stories, Kyle Byers from SEMrush. Thank you again for your time and thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back again in two weeks' time with another SEO Success Story. Cheers, Kyle. Thanks a lot, Russ.